Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18+. plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. It's the Auto Sport Podcast. We ask if the arrival of a halo marks the end of Formula One and look ahead to the car launches and testing. We've still got a few days to go before the first of the new crop of Formula One cars for 2018 breaks cover, but already the anticipation is building ahead of the new season. One of the big talking points will be the arrival of the controversial Halo cockpit head protection system, which will be our starting point for our pre-testing preview special. It's like a, a pre-preview preview we're putting together. I'm your host, Ed Straw, and joining me first is Lawrence Barreto. Now, how are you finding the long winter months? Enjoying the fact everyone has quietened down a bit, or eager to get started again, Lawrence? I think I've crossed over the line, and now I'm eager to get started again. I think it was, always, it was nice to have a break, but um, it'd be quite nice to just get going get get on with the season this time of year when it's quite quiet um it kind of does leave you wanting well i'm hungry for news i guess that's what my job is so lawrence barretto hungry for news we'll get some t-shirts printed podcast merchandise Uh, hungry hungry in capitals exactly i've I've got image rights for for both of you because just by you appearing in this podcast i don't don't remember agreeing to that i can produce some massive merchandise why why do you need image rights for a podcast i've got the image rights to the guests you know so it means that if somebody big and important comes in 
like, wants to market us. Exactly. You know, <laughs> I, want, I want to take every commercial opportunity. So we've got an idea. That's what are we shrewd. talking? Mugs, T-shirts, mouse mats? Exactly. All of, the, all of these things. Absolutely Do anything. people still use mouse mats? I don't think I've used a mouse mat for years. We haven't done any work for years, so that's to be expected. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm starting afresh with this 2018 pre-preview preview podcast. Well, exactly. Anyway, you're not even allowed to speak. I haven't introduced you yet. So let's, oh. let's, let's actually let everyone know who you are. Who am I? My second guest, who you're about to hear from now, is Ben Anderson. Hey! Now, it's a very different situation to 12 months ago when you were preparing for all new rules. So are you expecting it to be a bit more of a continuation of 2017 or could there be a few surprises? Well, I don't think there'll be really any surprises. I mean, apart from maybe the shocking look of the halo. I think, honestly, you'll expect a continuation of 2017. It's still early into the the new aerodynamic rules. You already started to see some convergence among the top teams in terms of front wing design and uh, barge board design. I expect that will continue this year. There's been a bit of talk about wheelbases and whether people will adopt the Mercedes long wheelbase approach and whether people will adopt the Red Bull shorter wheelbase approach. But there's some rumblings about further clarifications on suspension rules that might make it less attractive to go down the short wheelbase route. So maybe we'll see more teams migrate towards the Mercedes design. Obviously, Mercedes had the fastest car last year as well. So you'd naturally look at that and think, well, they must be doing something right for most tracks. So... I'd expect to see more convergence and more similarity between most of the cars into 2018. Often the way when you're into uh, the second year of new regulations. Now, as you mentioned, there's been a lot to talk about the halo over the past couple of years. We've seen some fans even saying they're not interested in watching F1 anymore because of it. And it's no surprise, it's probably the biggest legislated change in the look of a Grand Prix car, if you, if you want to put it that way, in terms of something that the rulemakers have said goes on the car as a whole new thing it's not just a different shape of something you already know it's just something new so Lawrence Barreto is this the end of days no of course it's not um I think there'll be some moaning kind of over the first few races as people get used to how the cars look different with the halo on it but I think within a few races people just got used to it just like when you make any other major change there was moaning to start with and then you just get on with it. So no, I don't think it's going to make a great deal of difference. I think on a technical challenge side of things, um, I think it's quite good. Um, a lot of the technical directors have said what a challenge it has been integrating it onto the car. So if that kind of can give maybe some of the teams further down the field an opportunity to, to shine, then I think that's a good thing. But I don't really see it as one of those interesting technical challenges. It's basically just a heavy, great lump to stick on the top of the car, isn't it? That needs to be extra heavy because it's got to resist some extraordinary static load tests in order to pass the, the safety requirements. So I think all it's going to do is make the cars heavier, make them slower. It's going to force those heavier, taller drivers who are already on the limit with weight into the red and they're going to struggle more. I don't really see many positives. Yes, of course, it's going to be an improvement for safety. Um, I kind of agree with Adrian Newey, who says that you know he's for safety and anything that makes the cars safer is a good thing, but he just wishes Formula One could have come up with a more elegant solution because it, it does look horrendous. There's no getting around that. For me, I think also a more comprehensive solution. I think Formula One and the FIA kind of backed itself into a corner with all these declarations while we will have cockpit head protection. And kind of once you've got a viable a viable design you you're kind of forced to put it on in case uh, the worst happens but for me it's it's good for a, a large object such as a such as a wheel our technical expert gary anderson has raised some concerns about uh, about if a, a large chunk of the front wing assembly were to sort of come in under the halo then it would get stuck in there and be ricocheting around which is a valid concern but i'm not sure what the final numbers were but i remember at one stage charlie whiting saying that, that one of the early halo designs was only going to stop 17 percent of small objects now 
I know the idea was primarily about stopping wheels, etc. That that was the main thing. It's not about stopping all small objects, but for me, it feels like this weird halfway house solution. They've they've wanted to keep it open cockpit, but they want the benefits of a closed cockpit. So you've kind of come up with this thing that's that's neither one thing nor the other. It's half arsery, isn't it? It's exactly, best, really. Exactly, and it, it just seems a little bit a little bit misguided. The one thing we should say is the halo is not. Uh, reaction to, as is often suggested, to the Bianchi accidents. Unsurvivable, that accident. E- exactly. So we, we know what the reasons behind what happened there were, and they've, they've been tackled in other ways. This but is more to do with Henry Surtees and... Exactly, yeah. Exactly. Justin Wilson and guys who've had bad accidents where they've been hit by flying parts of cars, which you don't want. Uh, exactly, exactly. But it to me, it, it seems logical to more go down a, a completely closed cockpit approach. That, to me, seems the logical logical move because i'd agree with that at least it'll look better yeah i think that's what they should have done they should have waited until they had a i've said this before they should have waited till they had a a fully optimized solution and gone the whole hog they should have said right we're going to go close cockpit because that is we think that's safer and then come up with a, a proper solution even if they had to defer but what they've done is as you say they've tried to take the best bits of closed cockpit safety while retaining some kind of semblance of it being an open cockpit and more often than not when you you try to please all parties, you end up pleasing none. They may well end up down the closed cockpit path, but I suppose... Well, this, this research is ongoing, isn't it? And um, I think the FAA have been quite honest in saying that, you know, this isn't going to be the only solution that we have. You know, if we can come up with something better, then they'll replace it. And I, I guess that if, you know, if you've got something, once the FAA said we've got something, they had no choice but to put it on. And at least if it does help, even if it's a small percentage, it will. Ha- it's a good thing to have in the interim. The interesting thing is that the championship that's had the type of accident that Halo is designed to prevent causing serious injury, most recently IndyCar, is actually not going down this route. They're waiting longer, they're investigating shield and more elegant solutions. So it does seem to me that the FIA and Formula 1 could have waited until they had something better than this. But it's here, we're going to have to get used to it. Well, IndyCar's new aero regs, they integrated, I think, an intention to have a kind of shield. And the rules said, we will bring it in when it is ready. Whereas it's a reverse. Formula One's kind of achieved a, something that works in some circumstances and they've bought themselves into a corner. Of course, if we get to the Australian GP and some driver gets a wheel in the halo at 150 miles an hour, we'll be thinking, well, this is brilliant. It's a good job it was there. That That's the difficult thing. And of course, if it had been deferred again and you had a viable way of protecting against that and it happened, then you'd say, well, hang on a minute. Originally, this was going to be used and it's not there and then something terrible's happened and and could it have been averted because inevitably when something goes wrong that's looked at in defense of the halo i think and we're ultimately in in a very small minority in terms of it and that we've actually seen it from trackside i find it a lot more offensive in a photo or a still image or just sitting in the in the pits than i do from trackside so i suspect it's not going to be quite as conspicuous as maybe people think it's going to be do you think that's fair will it as Lawrence suggests just merge into the background after the initial shock yeah I think there's a there's a likelihood of that especially as the the halos we've seen which you you've said don't actually look as bad close up on the cars when they're going round, are dummy halos they're not how they're actually going to look they're not the final design and not only that the teams are going to be able to do things around the halo to integrate it into the car better and minimize its aerodynamic 
negative aerodynamic influence. Well, you've got these, so ha- these fairings shrouds. that go over it, so you can shape it, and you can obviously it can be painted. And in fact, there's going to be a, maybe a digital ticker that's been talked exactly, about yeah, by we'll, we'll uh, the story of that Bossack Brown. So it is, it is going to look different, and you know the team's cars are all about having everything aerodynamically integrated. So anything they can do, they will do. Um, so they're bound to look better in final version, painted up, than they did being dummy run on the cars in practices and even even the dummy halos some of them were, were painted up. i think ferrari painted one up and it actually did look it looked much better when they did that so yeah it's it won't look as bad in the final reckoning fortunately there's also a bit of talk about the disadvantages about egress from the car if you have a if you're upside down or you're or there's any kind or of even blockage. you're right side up and some well, of the yeah. cockpit you know cockpit extraction tests have been quite difficult to pass and drivers don't know where to put their arms and do they haul themselves over it like a climbing frame do they try and duck under it uh, it's been quite I've, difficult i've got no sympathy for that i used to race a Ginetta g20 and the size i am and the size one of those are it's like that every <laughs> single time <laughs> did you just roll out what was I the had, approach I'd, you went for i always had to go out the, the, the very top a lot of people oh. could go in through the kind of what you would call the window area, but I couldn't mm. fit through there, so I had to go. I did always think if I roll, I'm going to be in trouble. I'm going to be sat there for a while, but fortunately, uh, I limited my crashes to right way up once. <laughs> Good for you. <laughs> but, but more seriously, but they, they did simulate uh, the Alonso Melbourne crash from 2016 16, when he ended yeah. up upside down, and it was possible to, to get out. So I think it's uh, not make a big difference. And also, in sports cars, you have closed cockpits, that they still have no problem extracting people, etc. So that there's ways and ways and means round this. But in, it, in many ways, it's probably easier to get out of if the car is upside down because it acts as a as a rollover protection, doesn't it? So you can just crawl out through the gap. Whereas if the car didn't have that, it's more likely to be at an angle where you're trapped. Yeah, it's an extra little bit because otherwise, it's purely the geometry from the top of the roll hoop to yeah. the point in the front of the chassis where they they have that straight line. You have to be. 50 mil under it i think it seems harder to get out of the car when it's the right right way up with the halo than when it's upside down i guess we'll see once they're all you know everyone has it and they're all integrated and they've all got their final versions we'll see we'll see the problems will will manifest themselves won't they if there are any well the drivers haven't actually done the extraction test with the actual halos they've just used those dummy ones so obviously they won't might not be able to take the weight when they're when they're put trying to hoist themselves out so i think you're right until we actually see them actually having to be used and testing i don't know, I think it's difficult to say i think the one thing we can be sure of is that when the cars start being revealed at their launches and then start running there's going to be an enormous amount of fan comment there's been a lot in the past but this is kind of the moment where it really hits home there's always so. going to be this feeling that probably completely irrationally that somehow it could maybe go away at the last minute but once the once the well, new cars be the first are launched, time in formula one in fairness no of course not but, but these are struck these are well, structural things the, structural, you know, the, the teams have already the done the, the test car, yeah. they've done the load test they've had to pass them so it's here there's no way around it and yeah when when the the new cars are launched and everybody sees them for the first time that will it will really hit home then that that halo is is here to stay because of course so far when people have been practicing with them, you've only ever seen two, maybe three at a time. And the majority of the field, and not for very long, there are a few laps in practice, but now it's going to be every lap, every car constantly. So um, it, it will be a shock to the system, I think, early on for everybody. But like most things, once you have time to adjust, people will get used to it. And the drivers will get used to it as well. I think it's probably fair to say there's a reasonable number of drivers who aren't pro Halo. Not quite so many of those are willing to say that publicly, but it, it's the same thing, isn't it? You know, if you're against the Halo, there'll come a point where if for example a wheel comes flying at you you'll be very glad it's there it's like a lot of safety things you know it's not comfortable to wear a seatbelt in a a road car is it 
but it's it's a hell of a lot more comfortable than having any kind of accident without one. So, mm. and it's also not a deal breaker really for a driver, is it? Unless they unless the weight of it actually means that you're massively compromised against your teammate, or where it's located means you can't see properly, so therefore you can't drive as well. Other than that, there isn't really any reason to be against it, other than some desire to see the formula one be more dangerous than it is the drivers would be much less happy with a change that meant they had less grip or a less exciting car to drive or worse tires or they made them less competitive those are the things they're going to be obsessed with if halo doesn't influence those those core things they're not really going to be that bothered yeah i think that's uh, i think that's fair it's i think overall we'll get used to it won't we, as, as we always do but it'd be interesting to see what the direction goes in the in the longer term i think it would make sense if we're going down this road to find some kind of Hopefully a enclosed, different direction, yeah. Enclosed one. And Sebastian Vettel, when he tried the um, sorry, yeah, the aero screen was the Red Bull concept, wasn't it? The when he he tried the more canopy shape. Yeah, it was, I think they called it the canopy, didn't they? Yeah, Silverstone. It, it was creating distortion. Now, yeah, that's fine, but that was a that was a demo one, effectively. You know, they can make cockpit canopies for fighter jets where visibility is quite useful so you know i think i think they can no get doubt. there can't they, they? Can, I, there's no doubt they can get I, there i got the impression that the fi really wanted that test to work that they were kind of hoping they could at the last minute go down that route because remember this cockpit protection has been deferred a year already hasn't it? it was meant to come in for 17 and the, the weight limit of the cars was put up for that reason so the fi gave themselves another year of grace to maybe work on something else and produced it at silverstone and i think they were thinking right Seb's going to go out, drive this, and we're away. We can ditch the halo, and it's 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 not worked out that way. So, not abandoning it, but there's clearly a desire in all areas to look at something better than the halo. It's very much a stopgap, isn't it? Which I think will please most most Formula One fans. Yes, yeah, there's certainly a new direction for the future, and I think the window opportunity probably is with 2021 regulations where things should change. So I think you need to change the fundamental geometry of the car because when they did some cockpit canopy tests, firing things at jet fighter canopies, obviously in case again using a wheel as the example, that obviously it hits, it deforms enough so that it doesn't break, and then of course the the wheels repulsed, and that a wheel at high speed, you've then got containment problems about where the wheel ends up, obviously. The first responsibility for Grand Prix racing is to make sure the crowd are safe and the the marshals are safe and uh, you know the drivers are very important. But they're the how, last. How thing. repulsed is the wheel by Halo? It will be deflected and it will be moved, but it's not quite the same impact because you're not getting the same deflection and then the sort of the, the springiness, for want of a better word, I can't use the technical terminology. Uh, anyway, with Let's my spring uh, on to the next topic. Uh, very very good. Yeah, if I was good at segways, I'd I'd have uh, done that. Ben, last year was all about the battle between Mercedes and Ferrari, so. One of the interesting questions is whether we can expect either team to make big technical changes. They had very different approaches to their concept last year. There's there's some areas about the rake, for example, that we've talked about. Maybe they'll change. So do we think we'll see a purely evolutionary approach or could there be some big changes made by one or the other to try and open up a bit more potential if they feel they're coming too close to maxing out what they've got? Yeah, I guess it all depends on on how the rules are framed whether there's a reframing that pushes everybody away from one direction or the other it's it seems like maybe there's there's going to be something in the rules that that push suspension wise that pushes people away from the high rate solutions and generally the high rate cars have had the shorter wheelbases so if that's the case and there has been talk that maybe ferrari are considering going down this route you'd, you'd migrate more towards the mercedes flatter and longer longer car obviously Mercedes had the fastest car last year on the balance of tracks 
once they got on top of the tires. So they evaluated going high rake and shorter wheel. They did some tests in Brazil, I think, to explore that route. I think they're more likely to stick with what they've got because it's a big change. You've got to change all your ge- geometries. You have to really be stuck in a bit of a development blind alley, I think, to, or the end of a development path, shall we say, to to want to make such a drastic change. And even if you ultimately can take a step forward out of it you might have to take a few steps back in the interim so exactly and, and you know, mercedes there's a cost a, attached to this exactly and mercedes have a competitive car already they won both championships their chief designer john owen said that they they designed the car at 90 percent because they wanted to add development make sure they had development potential with it not just through one year of the regulations but beyond that so you'd imagine mercedes certainly will stick unless there's something in the rules that says oh you, you absolutely have to change just because there's a massive development path they found without the losses that you mention i'd imagine ferrari will need to make some changes because although they had a quick car last year it wasn't out and out the fastest there's some flaws there um the fuel economy doesn't look so good so there's probably some stuff to come from the engine certainly um aerodynamically they were they were very good on the the lower speed tracks they need to find more speed on the higher speed higher downforce tracks like silverstone i think that was their biggest defeat and that's been the case pretty much throughout the v6 era as far as i can see so they probably will migrate maybe more towards the the mercedes direction the fry have said that they're they're looking at you know they're, they're paying a lot of attention to looking around the paddock and taking the best ideas that they see wherever they come they're not too proud now to just do they have to do things only their own way and ignore everybody else um we saw red bull um, copy the kind of Ferrari approach to barge boards and side pods, which was quite innovative in the first year of the regulations. So I think what you'll see is that most of the top teams will will stick with the good bits that they've got and just try to borrow some of the better concepts from across the grid that they've seen work in areas where they're weak. So normal evolution stuff, really. If you were Ferrari Mercedes particularly, you'd be reticent to do a massive overhaul when you 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 between you had the most the best car on the grid for every pretty much every grand prix barring one i think yeah and certainly i think the more interesting car of those two to look at what i'm I, if i can see one now the ferrari would be the one that would interest me more because i think there's more potential there for something interesting to happen i think it would be a mistake just to assume mercedes is going to change loads of things oh you mentioned also the the engineering teams i think that organization looks quite stable now mercedes had changed at the end of 16 with james allison coming in but things were fairly seamless and they had a very successful 17 and they got stronger through the year. So you'd imagine that they won't look to change too much unless they're forced into it. And even Ferrari, like probably for the first time in many years, their technical structure seemed to work well, harmoniously, they developed their car well through the year. So they don't really have reason to change much other than obviously Dave Greenwood coming back to the UK and for family reasons and or personal reasons and, and now working in the manor lmp1 project so there, there'll be there is a reshuffling going on in terms of different personnel filling different roles but no major overhaul of the structure needed i don't think so lawrence do you think we're looking forward to hamilton versus vettel part two i think so i think right now i can't see why you'd think anything differently bottas obviously had a strongest end to last season so he would hope that he can have a, a strong start to the year like he did last year i'm interested to see how uh, ferrari have sorted out like their liability concerns they put a lot of focus on the quality control department made a few tweaks over there 
Um, and that's really, you could argue, what lost them the championship, or at least lost what put in pressure on Mercedes towards the end of the year. So I'm really interested that to see... That and was red mist. Ah, yes, of <laughs> course, in Baku. Um, it'll be interesting to see just how they've coped with that side of things. And Ferrari aren't famous for, well, not since their domination of the early noughties, have been able to do a good year and follow up with another good year. So it'll be interesting to see whether they do maybe take this evolutionary direction and just try and build on what they got last year, or if they'll gamble and try and go rogue to try and make a bigger step forward it'll be interesting to see what they do this engine work is the key for ferrari i think it depends on how how much in their their engine architecture how much development potential they still have and whether they need to overhaul that to 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 take a step on and problems that might introduce and as lawrence mentions they had some reliability problems creep in and we know their fuel efficiency wasn't as good as mercedes last year so that's really where they need to work the car was decent and vettel said most most places he felt the Ferrari was quicker in the corners of the Mercedes. So they hit on a really good aerodynamic concept, I think, off the bat with the 17 rules. They need to continue that, but they need to work in other areas to kind of bring the whole the whole package together. And at the same time, Mercedes' Andy Cowell was saying that it's going to be a pretty much all-new engine this year. You know, they reached the end with what they had last year in terms of getting the most out of it. And so they're going to try and push it on again this year. And, you know, looking at the progress that they've made each year since they've introduced these new regulations, there's no reason to suggest that they're not going to make more improvements themselves this season. Yeah, that's a, that's a big worry for the opposition, I think, because Mercedes, they're not the kind of organisation that rushes out these new concepts because they desperately need them on the car and they, they're just winging it. All of these things are so carefully planned out and proofed that have been working on this 18 engine probably for ages in concurrently with the old the old engine they won't just go oh we've reached the end now what do we do so with the the new limits coming in and everybody being limited to only three engines and two items for the whole year on the electrical side the mguk and the the other electrical bits you can bet mercedes is ready for that and their reliability was so solid last year compared to all the other manufacturers you can imagine they've done all their development for this engine with with that in mind the others are going to be in, uh, facing that extra pressure of needing to chase performance to make up that last bit of deficit to Mercedes. But they also need to consider that they need to become more reliable, Ferrari and also Renault, as we know. So they've got double pressure that Mercedes doesn't really have. And unless Mercedes has finally, you know, finally puts a foot wrong with this engine, you can imagine they are going to take a step on that score. And it's a, a big question whether the, the others who've been catching up when Mercedes have had a fairly stable architecture, whether they can they can go with them. And all the signs we've seen so far in the V6 here is that Mercedes always manages to stay at least one step ahead. Talking of engines, Red Bull is the team best placed to get in amongst that top two battle. Now, Lawrence, one of the keys to this will be Renault's performance. Expecting a big step from Renault straight out of the box in testing rather than having to wait for the second half of the year because both Red Bull and Renault have been guilty of making poor starts over the past few years and if they're going to be in that fight they need to be in that fight from the very start surely they've got they've got to make that big step from the start of the season i think the engine rules are such this year that they've only got three engines as well so that only gives them two other opportunities to introduce updated power units i know towards the end of last year or at least in the middle of the year looking towards the end of last year um a beatable was saying that you know don't expect too much on this year because we're focusing on next year so you can't go around saying things like that and then start this year and say no we're not quite ready yet We'll need to wait for the second half of the season. Um, well, admittedly, the Red Bull-Renault relationship isn't 
at its strongest. It's not by far at its weakest, but it, it's not it's not too strong. So for them to then go to Red Bull and now McLaren, of course, the customers and say, sorry, guys, you're not going to get a unit that we know is strong until the second half of this season isn't going to be good enough. Then you've got the works team to consider as well. And, and they're trying to make this um, upward trajectory and they can't afford another year where the, where the power unit, which caused so many problems, particularly for Red Bull last year, um, is, is not is not working in the way that it should be. There's no excuses really for Renault this year, I think, in terms of hitting pre-season testing with a reliable unit Lawrence mentioned that they were focusing on 18 during 17 and I think they bought a development engine in for the last few races I think Verstappen used it and maybe Hulkenberg as well so they've already got the 18 engine they've got actual track running with it or certainly the basic engine so that's way ahead of where they were coming into 17 uh, and a bit of all to set a target that they need to be in the top three in terms of mileage I think or even winning that that battle because they realize that Mercedes come out every year and just smash around Barcelona doing lap after lap after lap and they end up way ahead in the mileage charts compared to the others and Renault aren't in that league and they need to be in that league so everything's been geared in terms of you know how they do their sign off their processes their construction of this new engine and all their development to to hitting the ground running with a properly reliable engine so by the end of the first test, and certainly by the end of the second test, we'll have a very good idea of, of whether Renault has been able to deliver on its promises. And it really has to this year. There's no there's no no excuse, as I say. This is the thing. Testing is testing, but the die is cast by then straight away. You know, what happens at the first test, ultimately, unless there's some easy-to-fix problem, which does every now and again happen, but increasingly... Oh, it's massively, it's massively but, important. You know, that, that lays the foundations for everything that happens in the... In the rest of the season. Yeah, if you look at Renault again, I mean, last year they, they came into testing, had problems straight away, and the MGUK was causing them a particular problem. They had, to, back to, the previous they had years, to retrofit the old one with Red Bull's help for the first race. That stayed on the Renault cars all year. They never bought the, the new unit back. So that tells you that if you if you run into big trouble on the engine in testing, it, it can be impossible to fix if it's a major problem. And McLaren and Honda will know that, that all too well when they were the problems that they've had. So McLaren can't really afford another kind of pre-season where they're struggling, just different engine, but same problems. Well, that brings us on to McLaren and Fernando Alonso. Of course, we all want Alonso to be a factor up front. It might be a little bit fanciful to expect him to be in the championship fight, but you know, never if, know. If the McLaren car is strong, if the Renault engine's strong, then... Maybe they could, but the dream is that those four teams are all at the front, isn't it? Exactly. If, that, if Renault really do thing. do hit the mark, then you have Mercedes, Ferrari, Red Bull, and McLaren all battling it out. That would be that's the season we've been waiting for. Exactly. But Lawrence, what do you think? What are there any indicators as to where McLaren, Renault will shake out? We'll, obviously, they're going to take a, a a chunky step forward at the very least. But is there a reason to expect McLaren in its first year with Renault? to take the fight to, to Red Bull? Or is that maybe a little bit too optimistic? Well, McLaren will certainly be hoping to be taking the fight to Red Bull. Uh, that well, they, will know be, they know they're compared to them. That Yeah, that would be their expectation. I think they were very conv- uh, they're very positive about the quality of their chassis last year. So they would hope that even just by plugging a new engine in, they're going to make that natural step anyway. Um, when they've spoken about where they were with the ed- engine chassis integration, um, Zach said that they've caught up on the delay that or the, the lack loss of time that they had for, for that late decision, which is good news. Um, and you've got to expect that based on the way that McLaren have des- designed their chassis in recent years, as long as Renault deliver, and if they have got that packaging between the engine and the chassis right, they are going to be right, right up there. 
it's going to be a big challenge for McLaren, I think, because Red Bull, after a difficult start to last year where they had some correlation problems with the new tyre models in, in the wind tunnel, they finally got their, their car sorted. I think Singapore, particularly, they made a big step. That was the kind of final piece in their development puzzle for the 17 car. And we saw that at the end of the season, Red Bull were properly competitive and Max Verstappen was scoring as many points as Lewis Hamilton on his run to the title. So that's a properly tough benchmark for McLaren, which has you know been off the pace for a long time, set itself. I think their car is good. I think with the Renault bolted in just into last year's car, you know, packaging details aside, they would be fourth best. And their data says that they would be able to beat Red Bull on some tracks. But I think overall, McLaren, particularly in slow speed corners, is not at Red Bull's level. So you'd expect that McLaren will be slotting in behind Red Bull, provided Red Bull haven't had a bad winter, somewhere in the region of a few tenths. And then it will all be about how the engine works. In McLaren's favour, they have the same fuel partner as the works team. Red Bull doesn't. So developments on that score should favour McLaren more than they favour Red Bull. So it could be quite an interesting battle. And then you also have to consider that the works team, as Lawrence mentioned, is really pushing on and they've got a plan to match they're aiming to match McLaren and Red Bull by the end of the year going into 19. So they're going to be out for themselves. So it's going to be quite a, it could be quite a tense battle, I think, in the end. But McLaren, certainly they should be a lot more competitive than they have been the last three years. If they're not, then, you know, it's, it's a complete disaster and I can't see any way out. Is it premature to get excited about the Renault Works team? Long term, obviously their objective is to fight for championships, etc., they were coming from quite a low starting point after taking over a team that was underinvested. There was a lot of redevelopment of of personnel, et cetera, et cetera to to rebuild that team. You know, there's a big step aero wise from where Renault is to say where McLaren is or, or Red Bull is. But can we be excited about what what we're going to see when the when the covers are, are pulled off the the new Renault this year in terms of the complexity of the detail that might elevate it into that into that cadre of really advanced teams aero-wise. I wouldn't get too excited just yet. I think you can see the progression by the end of last year. The Renault was the fourth quickest car. They were quicker than Force India in Abu Dhabi. So their starting point is basically to be the head of the midfield pack. I don't think they'll be in that group with McLaren and Red Bull to start with. Their plan is to close the gap through the year and then start the following season on that level. So... 2018 is a big year for how Renault makes the next step as an aerodynamic development team. They've got a good starting point, probably their best starting point that they've had. And they've also got the ex-FIA technical director, Marcin Budkowski, working on a long-term plan to take the step beyond that, which is to become a championship challenger 2020-2021 kind of time. So I'd expect a lot more from Renault this year. They should be fifth at least. I think they'll break away from the the midfield pack and they'll be trying to they'll be probably in a no man's land behind the the other four, maybe occasionally troubling them if they they get everything together, they make a good step, the others drop the ball. We saw Nico Hulkenberg having a few races with the Red Bulls last year at certain points. So, yeah, I think they'll do well. I think they'll be strong. It'll be the first proper year of the team looking like a proper works team, but I think it's a bit early still for them to be right on the case with their customers. I agree. I think Renault are very much taking this long-term approach. They don't want to, to burn themselves too early and they want to make little steps along the way, building a solid foundation. So it wouldn't, it would be unrealistic to be expecting a massive jump 
this year but so far they've made all the little steps or they've kind of come close to the objectives that they wanted to make maybe not championship position finishing position but in terms of the objectives of where they wanted to be at the head of this season and they've still got a lot of staff who are joining who are still quite new they grow that team is growing very very quickly and it's going to take time for them to all settle in and work and gel and, and stick together so that that element of time won't actually start showing for a couple more years i think the key for them as, as with the customer teams is the reliability of the engine i mean a bit of all calculated that if Renault hadn't lost so many points to its own unreliability from the engine last year, they would have finished fifth in the championship. They would have beaten Williams. That was their target. So in terms of everything else, driver lineup, the way the car's developing, the way the team's growing, the infrastructure they've put in place, they, they're on target. It's just whether they can get the engine to behave itself. If they can, then they'll be strong. And I think they'll break away from the midfield. If not, then it could be could be more tricky. Well, that's the interesting thing for those three teams, Red Bull, McLaren and Renault. They're, they're going to kind of move in lockstep, aren't they? They'll, they'll be certain spread relative to each other. And I, I agree that Red Bull, McLaren, then maybe a gap the order, to Renault is probably the most, that, that's the most logical order. You know, we just haven't seen the car, so who knows what, no. what could happen. But, you know, if Renault thrive then it shunts them all up and if Renault have a disaster then it shunts, shunts them, them all down. We'll, all down we'll be watching those those mileage charts like Hawks won't we in testing because that will tell us a lot about whether Renault has delivered on its on its aims and therefore where those three teams ultimately are going to sit heading to Melbourne and beyond now the flip side of the McLaren engine coin is that Toro Rosso now has the joy of using Honda engines lucky them there's already been a bit of noise about criticism of the three engines per year rule the mission the 27 honda power unit is on standby just in case it needs to be bolted into the car now is there any reason to expect or also to spring a surprise or is it going to be an arduous pre-season and season for that matter man i i expect an arduous season honestly I think personally or for Toro Rosso <laughs> hopefully not personally but you never know i think for Toro Rosso honda it's a massively tall order to do anything in 18 honda did improve through the year but they still have plenty of their own problems in terms of performance and reliability that's one of the main reasons that mclaren ditched them for renault because okay renault have got unreliability but they'd rather have performance and the occasional unreliability if it remains than have neither which is what they were feeling they were getting with with honda honda believes they've got the right engine architecture but they're a year behind where they expected to be in terms of getting the most from that so they've got a lot of work to do still to to get on top of their own problems in the meantime Toros is a smaller team, less well-resourced, less expertise. They've also had their own problems. Their head of aeros just left. The, the 2017 car was disappointing from an aerodynamic point of view. It didn't develop very well. It's going to be a season probably of less pressure for Honda because they, the team will be busy sorting out a lot of its own issues. Also, Toros isn't used to being a works partner with an engine manufacturer, so there's some learning to do there. Honda aren't really on top of everything. So I think there's so many moving parts to that partnership, so many difficult elements to overcome, and they've got a very inexperienced driver lineup, as is often the case at Toro. So I just can't really see a way that, unless the stars magically align altogether for the first test in Barcelona, that's really going to work out. I think they're going to have a really tough season, and I think they're going to be struggling to not finish last in the Constructors' Championship. Yep, I was going to I was going to say exactly the same thing. I think they've been in that sixth, seventh kind of Batman mark for the last four or five years now, and I can't see how they're going to get anywhere close to that. And looking at the kind of the, their direct competitors, you'd have thought that Sabre and um, Ferrari now are going to move up and have strong have a stronger year. And Haas and Williams, I think, who are going to end up being their direct competitors, are going to be stronger. So I just think it's going to be a really tough year for Toro Rosso. I think for Honda, it's 
this is an opportunity for them to get on top of their problems in a less stressful environment, uh, less pressure on them generally. Uh, and I think that could be good for, for Honda and everyone who works with them. I think the concern is they've had change at the top again. Um, ben and I were just discussing this in the office earlier. And the vicious cycle of Honda management changes. Exactly. It's just change again. And um, while it's always good, sometimes, well, it's sometimes good to bring in fresh f- faces and fresh blood, to do it again, uh, particularly at a time when they're changing team as well, I, I just think it's going to be a, a giant challenge for them. I don't think, I, I don't ever really get the impression that Honda's priorities are quite in the right place. That they clearly want to do this project to as an R&D project to learn expertise that they can pump into their automotive program. But it seems like that's the priority for them. Every couple of seasons we get some somebody at the top of the, whoever's leading the Honda F1 engine project, they get shunted into another part of the company to, to teach everybody what they've learned. Somebody new comes in, they have to learn everything all over again. And as Lawrence says, with so much else going on, particularly this year in terms of Honda moving to a new team and having to learn that and Toro Rosso having to learn them have the leadership also change and have to spend a year learning just think they're not going to go anywhere and when then you consider other teams on the up McLaren are going to go forward with Renault we imagine Renault are going to go up as a works team we imagine Sauber are going to become a proper team again now they've got current Ferrari engines and proper backing and this Alfa Romeo tie-up and Charles Leclerc in the the cockpit they're going to take a step forward suddenly it becomes well how well, well are Williams going to do with this young driver lineup? How strong can Haas be in the third year of basically taking a, a Ferrari with their own aero on it and trying to race it as well as well as they can? I don't see how Torosso, with all these other problems of their own plus Honda's problems, can really can really compete with those. They they're in for a tough year, I think. In terms of Honda, I think they're out of time in terms of anybody assuming they're going to get it right because of their history because they sell a lot of road cars, because they're good at making... All these reasons to be excited about Honda, they've they've run out of credit on that. And in this point you're making about, we're seeing changes there, but not really a, with clear objective and clear understanding of what needs to be corrected. It just seems to me that almost there's the expectation with the Honda that, well, we're Honda, we'll get it right. But if, for me, there needs to be some kind of clear sea change and evidence of a of a clear step-by-step progression without having to do all new engines or you know just actually this is our concept this is the right concept we're going to move along this line and just get everything under control and that's why from a Toro Rosso perspective I'd be pretty worried in terms of what we're going to get from Honda because we can't assume they're going to do no matter what resources what they're doing what has Honda done in recent years to instill any confidence from anyone very little and the trouble is it keeps going up and down so they they make a big step forward and it seems like okay they well, back end of they, 16 back end of 16 and this was this was mclaren this was at the root of mclaren's massive disappointment they saw that progression through 16 particularly on the ers side and thought right they've, they've nailed it now this is just going to be a case of building 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 honda changed the architecture because they ran out of development potential it's a similar similar thing with renault and just went massively backwards, got themselves completely lost, things that didn't work. And now they've spent a year trying to get on top of that, but they're not fully on top of it. And you can tell from the fact that they're saying we'll bring the 17 engine as a backup. That doesn't inspire confidence that they're completely sorted and they know what they're doing. They believe they've got the right engine architecture now, but as Lawrence said earlier, Mercedes are now doing a whole new one. So every time Honda seems to get sort of in a position where it might be on the right track, the track moves. And they've got to find a way to get onto that track while making up the deficit on the old track that they still have. So McLaren still maintain that Honda will get there because they have 
the commitment, they have the resources, they have amazing technology, they have everything that they need, but you just don't know when. And it doesn't seem like Honda is actually that desperate to do it as quickly as possible either. They're not looking to shortcut their way to the front. They want to do this old Honda style, learn by failing. And if they get there in 10 years' time, they'll be happy, but teams can't afford to wait 10 years to win unless they're not in the business of winning they're just in the business of surviving so the thing is they may have that long-term view but i think the thing i'd most like to see from honda pre-season is a little bit more managing of expectations and a, a little bit more reflection in their public pronouncements that that they know they know what they're doing see lawrence we were in singapore last year when deals were announced and i know this wasn't entirely what it was Hasegawa, wasn't it? It wasn't quite what he meant, but he did say they're aiming for the top three this year. I know yeah, that quite, was said at Singapore. I know he didn't yeah. quite. Oh, it, was it, the, it was in response it was to a question di- about it was the communications director. I think. Yeah, it was. It was at that press conference. It, okay, yeah, one, yeah it was that. somebody more senior, wasn't it? Oh, yeah, it, was one sorry, it was a board member for yeah, sure. But okay. yeah, and that that to me says just manage expectations because I think as you were saying, Ben. The pressure's it's deluded, th- th- isn't it? There's less pressure there with Toro, so no one's expecting much. So actually, I'd like to see from Honda saying, yeah, we know we're going to get there, and we know we kind of had to have a bit of a reset, and we just want to work through what we're doing. We're confident in our progress, and over the next few years, we'll, us and Toro Rosso will, will gradually work our way up because they, with their public pronouncements, they kind of set the expectations. Remember all the things they were saying before they came into F1 about, we want to start at Mercedes level, et cetera, et cetera. It just ramps up the pressure and it makes me wonder whether they're lying to themselves because sometimes when these things are being said it's like the board they're talking to etc so it just I, I kind of look at it from afar and think does honda really know what it's trying to achieve and why and how and on what time scale or are there all these sort of different different agendas going going on because if it was just a question of honda does it its way and it'll get there in the end then sure they could just say it I, th- I yeah I think they over celebrate the small victories. So instead of looking at like a classic F1 operation would and go here's our constructors championship position, this is how many race wins, points, podiums we achieved, is this a success or failure? They they kind of look at it more in the iterative sense and think well we've been asked to make the engine lighter and lower than it was the previous year. We've done that. That's a great victory. Anything else that happens can't detract from that victory. And even if they're struggling in other areas, they think, well, that doesn't matter. We did this this year. Next year, we might get that extra element sorted out. They don't have this same obsession with the result, I don't think, in the immediate sense, or the desire to get there absolutely as fast as possible. They just want to to learn as they go. And they're happy with their rate of progress because they feel like if they'd started at the same point in terms of beginning development of the basic original v6 engine at the same time as mercedes they feel they've done a a better job they've developed their own engine quicker than mercedes has but the problem with that approach is that it's out of step with with the reality that's happening on the track so there's a massive disconnect i think in, in terms of the way honda sees its own project and the way that project fits into the demands of formula one but honda have had so many problems since they've come back that i guess when you do have that little win you want you want to look at the positive side of thing. You want to think about the morale back at the factory. It must be pretty depressing day in day out. They're all working hard. You know, it's not yeah, like sure. they're not trying. So I suppose when they do that, I do agree that some of the the claims that they make or the the ambitions that they've got when they make them publicly, they probably should tone them down. I think when they made those comments in Singapore at that press conference, I think they all realised, and that was probably a point where they all sat it down and probably as a collective said, we need to stop doing this. And time will tell whether the new management that have come in have learned that lesson and perhaps are better at controlling what 
they say or how they present themselves. Because um, I think that is one element where they can take some pressure off and that's one area where they can control the pressure that's on them. Yeah, it's, it's under promise and over deliver, isn't it? And really Honda's seemingly taking the opposite approach. But I do admire their self-confidence. Like They, they clearly do believe in themselves. If ever there was a, a reason to walk away, they had it, didn't they? McLaren ditched them. I think if, yeah, if, Renault, if Renault had been capable of supplying a fourth team, I think there's a high chance that we wouldn't be seeing anyone with a Honda engine on the grid this year. But the fact that uh, Renault needed to to ditch the Torosso supply in order to provide engines to McLaren gave Honda a way to stay in. They want in, and they're going to they're going to keep going regardless of the criticism, how bad it gets, how many defeats they suffer. They keep coming back. So. You know they're they're pretty they're mentally quite solid and I have to you know take my hat off to them for that. But there comes a point at which you have to start delivering the results on the track. That's how all the teams live and die in Formula One. Um, having sort of followed Honda reasonably well last year, I think that when they sign this deal, this latest deal, which I think is three years, I do think that if they get to the end of this three year period and they still haven't achieved, I do think there was sufficient desire from the board members initially to pull out that they will pull out I don't think they're going to hang about for for years and years and years and embarrass themselves at the moment they've managed to paper over the cracks um Yamamoto's son has done a very good job of persuading the board that they need to stick around and and try and see this through but I'm not certain that they're going to hold on for that long and I think if by the end of the third year if they're not actually shown any um distinct improvement and it also depends what happens with Red Bull because Red Bull might need all want to use Honda engines for next year, depending on how the Renault relationship unfolds. Um, if they haven't, if they haven't got anywhere with them, that I, I don't genuinely, I don't see them sticking around. Well, that's key as well, isn't it? Because let's face it, as neat a team as Torosa can be, they're not going to achieve the kind of results that Honda want to achieve. So, the only way this works now for Honda is if Red Bull they do a good job this year, the Red Bull Renault relationship peters out and Red Bull actually says yeah we fancy a bit of that we can work with that now and Honda gets it on top of its trolls enough that Red Bull is convinced that they're worth going with because they still need to bide their time until the independent engine comes in maybe post 2020 2021 so that is that is Honda's gamble it's their last chance to really prove that they that they're worth a shot from a top team but if Red Bull says no thanks renews with Renault or just does its own thing then I think, as you say, Honda will be finished after this unless they decide they want to just rattle around in the midfield forever. So the key thing is we all want Honda to do well. That's the important thing, but they just need to show that they can do well. I think just being Honda isn't, isn't enough isn't enough anymore. Mm. Now, Ben, we haven't really talked about Force India, Haas, Sauber, Williams so far in any, in any great detail. Are you excited about any of them? Are you going to be eagerly awaiting seeing any of their cars? I mean, Force India has been best of the rest of the last couple of years in fourth, so... Can it hold on to that position? No, it's not going to be. It's not going to be fourth again. Um, I think it will be best of the rest, but I think the the rest will shrink as a pool, and the best will will grow. As we so, talked about, McLaren and Renault, I think will will provided the Renault reliability isn't a complete disaster. Just on pure performance, those two teams will will rise above Force India this year. I mean, Re- Renault was already on the cusp of doing that. If we take Abu Dhabi as the last data point, so I think. For Cindy, are going to be a fight for sixth, and I think they're the favourites to take that position. They're really lean, well-run, slick operation. Two very good drivers. Uh, they've got the best engine. They've got a car that 
started out last year didn't develop great but they got on top of it they seem to be much more sure of themselves now so providing the halo and the other extra elements haven't thrown them off course I think that they'll they'll start the season as favourites to be sixth and I can't really see the other teams who all look to some extent in different degrees of disarray compared to them really challenging them Williams will probably do a better car uh, this year than they did last year um, because they know they didn't develop it very well and they've they've diverted a lot of resources into that and they've employed new people to to steer that uh, steer that project but they've got two really inexperienced drivers who probably aren't going to make the most out of that car certainly early on when Williams tend to be at their strongest so I can't really see Williams threatening Force India and normally you'd expect them to be their biggest threat. I think the difficult thing Force India have got, you know, if they finish six, people say that's a disappointment. But obviously Force India's problem. Everyone's I always think of everyone's ultimate potential is defined by their resources. So that's a combination of budget and their and their facilities, which are normally connected. Now, Force India can only get as close to hundred percent out of its potential as it can. And then for a team like that to be fourth relies on others underachieving. Yeah, which is what we've had with the exactly. Renault Works team being nascent and McLaren being paired with Honda for three years that have been disastrous. So Force India has been punching above its weight in the championship because of others' lack of performance. But really, it's been getting what you'd expect or it's been operating as close to the maximum of its own potential as, well, it, pound as it probably pound, can. You could make an argument Force India is the best team in the yeah, fund, Yeah, we example. have made that argument in sport many times, and it, yeah, that's fair. And I don't see any reason for that to change. Things are quite stable there. They've got a good team. All the people there enjoy working there. Um, so the rules are stable compared to 17. 17 is really the year that if they were going to trip up, you'd have expected them to trip up. And I think they, they kind of got away with it in the sense that everyone else tripped up because of all these wind tunnel correlation problems and the difficulties adjusting to the new time models, even Red Bull had that problem. So I think that that allowed Force India to a, a period of grace where ordinarily they might have struggled to to go with the other teams in terms of resources. And then, you know, in the end, they did a good job. And okay, they're outdeveloped a bit by Renault at the end, but that, no, that Renault is aiming at a different level than Force India. So I think Force India, again, will be best of that that smaller bunch at the back. Has we, you never know, I think... It's already apparent that they start strongly because they take as much of a Ferrari as they're allowed to take from the rules. But development is such a small team. It's really a it's really a race team, isn't it, rather than a, a proper constructor. So I don't see them really progressing through the year in the same way. So they need to start strong and not drop points early on. But you never know where they're going to fit in because a lot depends on how good the Ferrari basic package is and how good a job they've done with their own aero bits from a very limited team from the middle of last year. Sauber, I think, will see a, a big improvement compared to last year where they were basically adrift at the back because they've got proper proper current Ferrari engines. They've got some backing there, a bit more stability, but they're coming from a, a low point. So I don't think they're going to start necessarily strong, but they should get stronger through the year. And it's a case of how, how far that takes them. So if you look at that, there's there's obvious limitations in all of Force India's competitors in different areas so I think Force India really leads that group but as you say it's a battle for sixth really because the the Renault Works team and McLaren should after a few seasons of underachievement based on the size of those teams take a big step forward this year. Getting excited about any of them Lawrence? I am interested to see what Sauber can do with like the latest Ferrari spec engine and what the alpha backing essentially turns into. Um, nice new paint job. 
I'm, I'm not too sure about the livery when I saw it. I'm, so I'm hoping they're going to improve it beyond the launch livery. And they've got a really exciting young driver as well. Yeah, exactly. And I think that will help the team when you've got a young driver who you believe in. I think that will help motivation as well. And he's being groomed for Ferrari race seat in the future, potentially as early as 19. So that's a... That's a really exciting development for the team, isn't it? And Sauber have got a great facility. They're a great race team. And when you know when they can get things together and they've got the finances in place, they can be a very, very strong outfit. So it'll be interesting to see how they can do. I think that might impact on Haas as well because mm. obviously they consider themselves to be a very strong partner of Ferrari. Um, they could I, fall down the list, couldn't they? Well, they could do. Um, you know, Sauber are, after all, taking a, a Ferrari young driver and, and when you know, when it comes down to it and you're going to have to, if they have to choose, they you'd want to choose the team that are really helping you out. So I'm interested to see how the, the dynamic between those two turn out. And I'm interested to see from, from Williams' point of view where, where they can get to this year. I think, as this is Paddy Lowe's first car, it's, I think it's a little bit of a shame that we might not really see the true potential of it at all, uh, given the driver lineup. Um so it would just be interesting to see how, how well or how quickly both drivers can kind of get, get on it from, from out of the box in Australia. We've yet to see the cars unveiled. There could be some surprise. I know it's harder these days for that to happen. But, you know, at this time of year, anything is possible, as uh, as people like to say. So there's going to be lots to look forward to. And it's good to kind of set the stage for what to look out for when the cars do start to launch and then finally hit the track Barcelona on February the 26th. So there's plenty to look forward to. And all three of us will be there at the first test, along with Giorgio Piola, Gary Anderson, and the rest of the team from Motorsport Network to bring you all the latest news and insight from Spain. So until then, check autosport.com for all the latest news from F1 and the whole motorsport world. Perhaps check out our Plus subscriber area for in-depth features from the world's best motorsport writers. So thanks to my guests, Lawrence Barreto and Ben Anderson, and thanks to you for listening. We'll be back soon with another Autosport podcast. Music is 6am by Trilo, written by Marcus Simmons. See soundcloud.com forward slash Trilo Music. redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Feeling stuck in your current job? Looking for a career pivot? Are you a proven leader looking to step up? The University of Maryland's Robert H. Smith School of Business prepares students to meet challenges, solve problems, and obtain a profound understanding of how to operate in the modern economy. 
with MBA and MS programs offering flexible options to fit your lifestyle and goals. GMAT and GRE not required. Learn more today at go.umd.edu slash smithschool. University of Maryland, Smith School of Business. Inspired, fearless, unstoppable. Sports Social Podcast Network. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.